This episode of the Memory Palace is brought to you by Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate DeMeo. There's only one dramatic moment in the story. It will come about halfway through. The protagonist, the heroine, will fall from a cliff. And it might seem like the turning point, like the moment where everything hangs in the balance and everything's about to change. But it's not. That point will come earlier, just a few minutes from now. I'll flag it so you don't miss it. And we'll examine it for a second before sliding it into a drawer and moving on. And maybe we'll come back to it at the end, or maybe not. But we'll know it's still there in the drawer if either of us wants to return to it in the future. I'll make sure to leave it unlocked. This story starts here, in earnest, 44 seconds in. With the birth of Inez Enriqueta Julieta Mejia in Washington, D.C. in 1870. Her father was a Mexican diplomat. Her mother was a socialite from Philadelphia. And when she was three, they all moved to Texas, outside Waco, where Inez spent most of her time alone. She liked it for the most part, exploring the ranch where they lived, picking flowers, watching birds circling above the low hills. Rabbits dart in and out of the mesquite in the Wajio. Green branches dappled pale yellow all spring. But then her parents split up when she was nine. Her dad went home to Mexico City, her mom to Philadelphia. She put Inez in a private school in the city, then a boarding school in Toronto. Inez was unhappy. And when she was 15, she went to live with her father. She wouldn't see him a lot, at dinner sometimes. She liked him well enough, if not his succession of mistresses. Inez took care of the ranch for 10 years, and then her father when he took ill. She agreed to marry a man who worked in the property, though there was little love there. An intimacy of all types was never easy for the two of them. And then her husband died just a few years into the marriage, and her father too, right after that. And she was lost and alone and thought of becoming a nun. She was devout, and it made a certain sense, but her father's will forbade it if she wanted her inheritance, and And so she didn't become a nun, and life went on. Went on alone, with her managing the ranch and letting days pass. Years. She married again when she was 38 to a Mexican man who was 22, and it never really worked. She blamed herself, it seems. She was too internal, she thought, too in her own head, and and too sad. It just built and built. If this were today and weren't a hundred years ago, there would be a name for what she was going through. Some system of classification she could use to identify what she was feeling. Maybe point toward a way out. But it was 1909, and she didn't have a word like depression that she could get her arms around. She just felt guilty and broken. There was no diagnosis someone could give her husband that would help give him some guidance, give him something, when he just wanted to help just wanted to understand why she was always curled up on the top of the covers of her bed as the afternoon sun came in hot through the window. They didn't call it a nervous breakdown then, or a time-limited episode of mental duress, or acute adjustment disorder with mixed anxiety and depressed mood. They just knew something had to change. And her doctor suggested she leave Mexico. There was someone in San Francisco who might help her. The move broke up her marriage, though not at first. But her husband didn't speak English and couldn't find work, and in the clear light, 
The kind you get up there when the mist burns off as the day goes on. What were they doing together anyway? And so Inez was on her own in the East Bay, in the care of a Dr. Philip Brown. This was a time when psychology was new, and psychologists were just fumbling around at best. At worst, they were barbaric. But I can tell you with no small sense of relief that that wasn't Inez's story. Her doctor was just improvising, essentially, Mm -hmm. like the rest of them at the time. But he was guided by kindness, and curiosity, and empathy, and all those things one would want their doctor to be. He worked with Inez for years, helped her through the dissolution of her second marriage, helped her find some balance. And he did what anyone, a therapist, a friend, an inspirational Facebook meme, might do now. He told her to get out and meet people, join a club, take a class. She was 50. Her life hadn't been happy, but it didn't have to stay that way. She started hiking in the Redwoods with the Sierra Club, made some friends. She'd go to Golden Gate Park and bring a picnic and a book, sit out in the breeze for hours. She remembered how much she loved nature. She joined this group to save the sequoias. There were meetings. She'd see people at the meetings, and that was nice. She took the trolley up Telegraph to Berkeley one day to see if she could audit some classes, and someone at the registrar's office told her that they had a program for older students. She enrolled at 51, wanting to study the natural world, paleontology, animal sciences, things like that. And she loved plants, so she enrolled in a seminar about collecting and cataloging botanical specimens. And this is it. This is the dramatic moment. The turning point in the story here at 5 minutes and 38 seconds. The part at the cliff is still coming, but we're pausing here because this is the moment that matters. And this is all you're going to get in terms of drama. Just a 51-year-old lady signing up for a class that will teach her how to press flowers and how to put the glue on the little strips of fabric so you can stick the plants to the white paper. Just a middle-aged person whose life had been little but long, marked by years of the kind of sadness and disappointments and loneliness and failed and misguided relationships that cling like burrs. At some point, you stop bothering to pick them off. And then this person at 51 years old finds something she truly loves, And this is the thing, and it is always the thing, she does it. Inez Mexia, four years later at 55, then expert in spotting and identifying, cutting, drying, and cataloging botanical samples for academic study, embarked on a solo expedition to the foothills of the Sierra Madre Mountains, east of Mazatlan, Mexico. She hired a guide. She spoke fluent Spanish. Two failed marriages to Mexican men had given her that, at least. And she hiked and canoed and rode on horseback. She slept in tents, slept in the open air under the stars. And she'd stopped to cut flowers, reached to clip leaves from high branches, collect the seed pods of shade trees that would snow in the desert, catch the air and soar and dip and rise on some unseen current and disappear. She'd dry them and press them, describe where they were found and label them, and send them off, one set to Berkeley, one to Harvard, one to the herbarium at the Royal Botanical Gardens in London, and other places. She had made deals before she left. They'd pay her 20 cents per specimen. And one day she was in the mountains, and she spotted a plant she'd never seen before, maybe something wholly new, something yet unclassified, growing out from a crack at the edge of a cliff 
and she crawled toward it out over the valley and reached and fell, as you know already. But there were plants below her that broke her fall and saved her, as seems appropriate. And she broke some ribs and hurt her hand, and she had to go back home early, and that was the extent of it. She had collected fewer plants than she had hoped. But she had hiked the Sierra Madre Mountains at 55. And she had loved it. She had loved it. And so she returned, and returned again, to Mexico, barefoot in the reeds and salt marshes in Esquinapa de Higaldo, in the back of a dugout canoe on a night lit only by fireflies blinking on the banks of the Grijalva, to Panama through the canal, to Ecuador and Peru and Brazil up the Amazon, to Alaska, to the Andes, to Tierra del Fuego, and then home to Berkeley, when she was 68 and losing weight. And her friends, there were so many of them, from the university, from the Sierra Club, were there for her as she died, from lung cancer in the July of 1938. She'd been diagnosed just a month before. In the 18 years of her life after she took that class, and after she'd found that thing at 55 that filled her, and then went and did that thing, she collected more than 150,000 specimens. She found over 500 new species and one new genus of flowering asters, now called Mexianthus mexicanus, named after her and after the place she once left behind when her life fell apart and then returned to again and again. And those plants are still with us, in drawers mostly, in herbariums, old museums, the basements of botanical societies, dried and preserved, labeled and meticulously cataloged, glued just so to white pages now yellowed with age, as she had learned to do in a classroom at the age of 52. Each one of them, each flower she saw poke out of the dirt and said that one, each leaf she had stood on tiptoes to take, each blade of grass she had pulled from the hillside with her fingertips, is a moment in her life and a choice she made. The Memory Palace is produced by me, Nate DeMeo, with research assistance from Andrew Milne and production assistance from Melissa Dudley. This show is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX. We get support from the Knight Foundation. We get our ad-serving technology from Adzerk. And our ad music comes from the mighty J.D. Sampson. If you like the Memory Palace and you want to help out, there are a number of ways you can do it. You can donate through radiotopia.fm. Find a link there. You can rate the show on iTunes. Just go over, write a little something, click five stars. It sounds lame, but those things help a lot. But the best thing you can do, not saying don't do those other things, go do those other things. But the best thing you can do is to tell someone about it. I think we tend to have our things that we listen to and have our things that we read, and we just kind of assume that everyone else 
does too, or if your friends talk about it, then everyone must know about it. But I guarantee you, people don't know about the Memory Palace. So if you uh, want to send an episode, you know, think for a second of a friend that might enjoy it. Think for a second of an episode they might enjoy. And shoot them an email or tweet at them or post something on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever and let people know about the show. Thanks a lot. Radio Tokyo.